Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Amanda Ferret. Amanda is the founder of Value Yourself Coaching and is a professional speaker, coach, and educator. She focuses on helping clients get back into the driver's seat of their emotional well-being, grieving, and or self-care. Amanda takes an intuitive approach to the work she does with clients. She has a variety of methods she utilizes with clients, including emotional freedom techniques, EFT, tapping. From this work, clients can step into an authentic life that is in full alignment with their values and needs and therefore experience more emotional balance, peace, and freedom. Amanda is also extremely passionate about grief education and furthering the movement to make conversations around death, grief, and loss more acceptable and comfortable to have in our society. She has experienced a great deal of personal loss over her lifetime and wants to use those experiences to help others find more comfort, peace, and meaning in their grieving. Amanda hopes to help demystify and destigmatize grief and loss in order for people to have important conversations, do the necessary planning, and get the most out of life every single day because as she likes to joke, no one gets out of this thing called life alive. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. We're really grateful you were able to take the time today to chat with us. Would you first share with our listeners a little bit of your background and how you came to be the founder of Value You Coaching? Is it you or yourself? It's yourself. Value Yourself Coaching. Yes. Well, thank you first for having me. And grief kind of became my passion and my jam. Because I attended my first funeral at seven years old at my insistence, Um, as my mother put it, nobody could tell me (laughs) what I wasn't going to do. But I had a dear friend and his brother who were in a horseback riding accident. And unfortunately, my friend didn't survive. And I wasn't going to not go to the funeral. Of course, parents want to protect us. But I knew at seven years old that I would need that for my own peace of mind. And so my parents, my mom took me and I also, you know, I grew up in Montana. My grandparents had a ranch. So you learn about the circle of life and, you know, I was a pet owner. So, you know, you kind of have to learn that death and dying is a part of living. But what really brought me to this work is from 2014 to 2017, I suffered a great deal of loss, both deaths of family, friends, and pets. And other types of loss, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, you know, loss of jobs, moving, you know, different parts of identity and self, all those kinds of things. And it got to be pretty complicated, pretty heavy, and life kind of imploded. And I had to stop and take a break. And I've been kind of on a healing journey the last couple of years. And I got to a point in that journey where I was like, all right, I'm ready to use my education, my lived experience, my passions, and pay it forward. If I can save anybody some heartache, some pain, or help them know they're not alone in this thing called grief, then let's do this. And Value Yourself Coaching was born, and here I am. 
Wow, that's amazing. Seven years old, that's an extremely young age. So this is actually episode two of our brand new podcast, As I Live and Grieve. And in these first few sessions for our launch, we're going to discuss grief in general, just to increase awareness and help others understand exactly what grief is. A lot of people don't really understand that it's not just about someone who has died. And for the people that do put it connection with death, they don't even like to talk about it. So we're hoping that we can kind of remove that stigma, demystify grief a little bit by having this discussion. Now, I'm a word person because I'm a writer, well, by hobby and and trade. And I tend to look words up to make sure that even though I think I know what they mean, I really know what they mean. (laughs) And most dictionaries, in all honesty, define grief as the condition of having loved one lost to death. So even the dictionaries put that connotation on it. And even the American Psychological Association defines it with that connection to death. Yet it's not restricted to a loss from death. So can you help us understand what grief is? Yes. And so you said it's always not just connected to a loss that is death. So I first want to talk about different types of loss. And then I'm going to go into the different types of grief. So we can have material loss. So that's the loss of a physical object or surroundings, a house, maybe lost to a move or a hurricane, foreclosure, all those kinds of things. So any kind of material, physical object or surrounding is material loss. Then we all know this one, right? Relationship loss. So it can be an end of an opportunity to relate or an end of a type of relationship. So death of a loved one can be a relationship loss. It also can be the end of a friendship, dissolution of a marriage, those kinds of things. Functional loss, that's bodily. So anything neuromuscular, et cetera. So that's a loss I've experienced in, you know, I now identify as disabled. I have chronic illnesses. I have mental health diagnoses as well. So that's a functional loss. There's the loss of role. So loss of a specific role or identity. So if you have a loss of a child and you're no longer actively a mother or a parent or you lose a job and you're no longer in that career or anything where you lose some sort of identifying role is role loss. Then this is a nice big word. There's intrapsychic loss, which is the loss of what might have been or an image of yourself, or some sort of plans or things that you've had to let go of that has that impact kind of on those. Because we as humans are storytellers. We thrive on story. We tell ourselves our own stories. We kind of write what we want our stories to be futuristically. It's, you know, the beauty of our subconscious and um, why we have dreams and all these things. And so intrapsychic loss is kind of what happens when some of that is lost and has to shift. And then there's systemic loss, where there's some sort of disturbance of a social system that you're a part of, and that causes loss. So now that we know the types of loss, we can dig into some of the types of grief, and there's a lot of them. And of course, the first one that we all kind of know is what they like to call normal grief. But grief is not really normal. It's different for everyone. But normal grief is also known as kind of that uncomplicated grief, where it is kind of, you know, follows the Kubler-Ross method. It kind of has those kind of normal bits and pieces of grief and um, people are able to kind of move through it. Then there's anticipatory grief. And anticipatory grief is that's 
It's felt prior to the loss of someone. So my dad battled cancer for almost a decade. And in that decade, there was a lot of anticipatory grief. As we watched him, you know, he first he had a successful stem cell, stem cell transplant. We were able to celebrate that. But then the cancer came back, right? So this brings up this whole new wave of, well, now what's next? And they even say, and I feel it, that there's some anticipatory grief right now in our world with this pandemic of COVID-19 because there's so much uncertainty. Anytime there's any of that uncertainty or that kind of impending, if anybody's been given a terminal diagnosis, that's that anticipatory grief. Then there's delayed grief, which is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's a delayed onset of any of the symptoms or processing of the grief. And it can happen for several reasons. I Some of my grief was delayed because I had to just keep going back to grad school, keep going back to grad school, keep going back to grad school. Um, I was finishing my finals at my grandmother's bedside as she was dying and then had to just go back to the next semester. And that's when life imploded is because I wasn't taking care of my grief. And finally, it caught up to me. And, you know, life said, no, you're going to pay attention to your grief. I feel like normal grief and delayed grief is probably very common. Um, because I think in the, I know that we, a previous chat that we had with you, you mentioned how you were so busy with the, the business of death and you get so busy. And I think it's, it's very common as well for a lot of people to try to keep you busy. And maybe those first few weeks or months after the death, thinking that's what you need to help keep your mind off of it. But really it just delays the delayed grief, right? (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I was just going to say that sometimes culture or other things, societal kind of pressures or expectations or beliefs cause that delay in the grief because we, you know, toxic positivity is a real thing and discomfort with grief is a real thing. And people do think they need to keep you busy or you yourself think you need to keep yourself busy because that's right. the right thing to do in this productive capitalistic society that we have here. And no, that's not okay. We really truly need to acknowledge and give space for our grief for it to be dealt with in a healthy manner. I love that phrase, toxic positivity. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Yeah, I am definitely not in the toxic positivity camp. I am very much the opposite of that. <laughs> I am very much a feel your feelings, let them tell you what they need person. So another type of grief is complicated grief. And this can be also known as like traumatic or prolonged. It gets different kinds of names, but it's something that actually typically is diagnosed by a therapist or a doctor. Um, It's something I was diagnosed with. And it's just where you are just really struggling, right? That normal grief is not what you're experiencing. And you take the symptoms of grief, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, to the extreme. And you are isolating. You are not doing okay. Typical daily life is not happening. I, my social anxiety got so bad and my grief was so complicated. I was agoraphobic. I was not leaving my house except to go to therapy. And the reason I can be so honest about that is because I want people out there to know they're not alone, that people do go through this and there is hope. And so for those that are experiencing complicated grief, there is another side. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. But if you're feeling like that's where you're at, please seek help. And then there's disenfranchised grief, which I find that it's kind of interesting because it occurs when there's kind of a lack of social recognition 
or support for the type of loss. So a lot of times pet loss is a disenfranchised grief because they're like, oh, it was just a cat. It was just a dog. Who cares? But for a lot of us, our pets are our family and that type of loss can really be impactful. And it can also happen with if someone died of something like drunk driving or alcoholism or something that has any kind of stigma, that can be a disenfranchised loss or grief. And these are folks that might also struggle to find support because in a normal, quote unquote, grief group or other support system, there can be stigma around those types of losses. And so that can be a type of grief that is hard to find support for. Then there's chronic grief, which is also known sometimes as complicated grief. And it can be also known as complicated. Those terms all kind of get intermingled. But again, it's one of those where you are just really holding on. You're kind of not really going through the Kugler-Ross stages. You are perseverating on the loss of that person. And, you know, even though it's normal to experience grief in waves, it ebbs and flows, there is a prolonged period of grieving and kind of normal daily life is not happening. And so again, if chronic grief is something you're experiencing, that's another you know, area where you do or should reach out and get help and know that there is hope and light at the end of the tunnel. Um, distorted grief. This one is where somebody kind of gets stuck typically in the anger stage of grieving. And so things, you know, are being seen through that anger lens and there isn't any of that kind of normative processing of grief. It's not as usual. Then there's cumulative grief. This is another grief that I've experienced where you just experience loss after loss after loss, and they all kind of start to accumulate, just like it sounds like, right? And it builds up. And this one is another one that can get really tricky and where you should find support because, again, you're not even given time to process the first loss, and another loss happens, and another loss. And that can turn into either cumulative or, or it is cumulative grief in a way, but obviously, since we're talking about it being cumulative grief, but it can turn into chronic or complicated grief and need more severe treatment. And this can also be, you know, it doesn't just have to be death. It can be if you're dealing with loss of identity of self or things like that, that can turn into prolonged or cumulative grief. And I just gave away the next type of grief, which is prolonged grief. So this is another one that's typically diagnosed by a therapist or a doctor. And it is where your grieving is long-term, it's going on quite a while, and it's impacting your physical health. It has literally gotten to the severity of impacting quality of life. Um, So that's another one where you definitely are going to see kind of exaggerated symptoms and disruptions and want to get support. And then there's exaggerated grief, which is just as it sounds, it's kind of that exaggerated process. And that comes out in words, thoughts, actions, and exaggerated grief can often happen if you have a already existing mental health diagnosis. And again, this is another type of grief where getting support is important so you can get back to some of that normal processing. Then there's masked grief. Who knew there were this many types of grief, right? There's so many. Then there's masked grief, which is just like it sounds, right? People are masking their grief. And so some of that happens again when society wants us to kind of just get back to normal. You know, most jobs these days, you get three days for bereavement and then it's back to work as normal. And for me, I worked in the mental health field. So 
So I definitely couldn't put any of my personal stuff out there. I instead had to hold space for the families I was working with. So I did. I had to mask a lot of my grief when I was in, you know, at work and in life as normal because I couldn't at all show any of my own feelings or emotional processing. Um, it can also happen in various cultures or it's very common among men because, of course, men are supposed to be stoic in our society and not show emotion. So a lot of times that's where we will see it. And again, if mass grief prolongs, it can turn into some of these other more complicated types of grief and need more treatment. So the important thing with this is to remember that grief is normal. Grief is okay. And it's okay if you're not okay. And that grief is also necessary. It's a part of the process that we need to have to heal and process the loss and mentally kind of get into this new space of what life is like without that person, place, thing, etc. Traumatic grief is just what it sounds like. It's a traumatic loss. So something happens abruptly or unexpectedly or in a tragic way. Pretty self-explanatory. Collective grief. We are in a time of collective grief right now with the COVID-19 pandemic because it is a worldwide pandemic. We are all experiencing some of this anticipatory grief, if nothing else. And then, of course, plenty of people are losing loved ones. And they're not able to go to the hospitals or be with their loved ones. They're not able to have normal rites of passage, funerals, etc. And so right now, we are all experiencing this thing together in some regard. And so that is collective grief. Any type of grieving experienced by communities or societies as a whole. And I mean, it can be from anything like, right, like the loss of a celebrity where we all felt some sort of connection to that person, whether we knew them or not, or something as extreme as a pandemic. There's inhibited grief, which is when somebody kind of starts to show signs of grieving, but they're not really kind of truly investing or allowing that grief to happen as it should for them. Mass grief is very similar. Abbreviated grief is where people kind of keep it short and sweet. One of the examples they give for abbreviated grief is where maybe somebody knew that, a, you know, they had the anticipatory grief, right? They knew a loved one wasn't going to, wasn't going to make it. And so their grieving process seems abbreviated afterwards. And then maybe they lost a spouse and then they quickly remarry by our society standards. So somebody might feel like that's abbreviated grief because they didn't maybe ab grieve as long as society feels they should. It can also happen when maybe you didn't have the bond that everybody thought you should have. So maybe it was an estranged relationship or a strained relationship. And so that grief isn't as normative or prolonged as other people would expect in that type of relationship. And then there's absent grief, which is there's kind of no grief. And this can happen when the anticipatory grief has kind of done all the grieving for you or you've been the main caregiver. And so that loss finally offers instead of sense of relief, you know, they're at peace. You now get to kind of take a deep breath and you know that they are no longer suffering and that it's now a new phase of life. Um, it can also happen because you've grieved so much already or that you just know that that was the course of life and that life goes on. And you're kind of, what I like to say, a pro at grief and on to the next. That's not something to be a pro at. <laughs> right. And the only reason I joke about that is because I think it was after my grandpa's funeral or maybe even my grandma's. One of my cousins, 
bless his heart, he did not mean, he had no ill intention, but I had planned everybody's services from, you know, my dad, we had a celebration of life a couple days before he passed because he didn't want to have a funeral. He wanted to celebrate life before he died because he knew he was dying. And, you know, then my grandparents, you know, we had to plan their funerals. And my cousin said, you're, you're really good at this. And I said, thank you, but it's not exactly something you can put on a resume. <laughs> I want you. And I knew what he meant, and he, but his face, he was just mortified. And, you know, so yeah, it's, it's not something anybody wants to be good at. And at the same time, I'm glad that I'm here and I'm glad that I can offer my knowledge and experience and passion and compassion for others that are going through loss and grief. Right. It, it's one of the things that strikes me is I remember, and I think it was Stephanie, I, I believe it was you that showed me this quote. You know, if somebody came up and says, oh my gosh, you're doing such a great job. How do you do it? And the answer to that is I wasn't given a choice. Right. You said you were going to talk about some symptoms. Now, is it like for a lot of the symptoms, I guess, if it's related to a death, I can understand that. You know, the sobbing, the some of the anger and all of that. But for some of the other instances of grief, are the symptoms pronounced stuff like, you know, when you're getting a cold, you got a stuffy nose, a scratchy throat. Are they symptoms like that or are they more subtle? Could you maybe talk about those symptoms a bit? Yeah. Um, so, again, grief looks different for every single person. It's going to show up for everybody differently. But there are some kind of signs and symptoms and they kind of. I like to look at a whole person approach. So there's emotional, there's mental, there's physical. There can even be like spiritual um, and other symptoms that show up. So some of the emotional ones are going to be anything from agitation, irritability, anger, all the way to apathy, right? Like just not caring at all. And then everything in between, you may isolate, you may feel some relief, right? But the most common ones are just that irritability. And that can often sneak up on days where there's some sort of grief marker or anniversary, whether it's the anniversary of a death, that person's birthday, a wedding anniversary, anything like that, where there is a date of significance. Sometimes that can sneak because the body will hold on to that and it'll come up before we even know what's kind of going on. And man, I'm really irritable today. What is going on? Or I am just every, I want to cry at the silliest little thing, or I just want to sleep today. I'm just exhausted. And so those are some of the things that kind of can come up emotionally, mentally, difficulty concentrating or making decisions. In fact, they say you shouldn't make any major decisions in kind of the first year after a major loss because you typically aren't thinking very clearly. It can be really difficult to make big decisions and you may make a decision that you later regret. Which is funny because probably in the first year, you have so many big decisions to make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, some people might have to move, sell their house, thing, you know. Right. It's and so my advice there is have a trusted council of support, whether that's other family members or close friends or a spiritual advisor, whoever, you know, basically don't make those big decisions alone right. and don't feel like you have to make them alone. I didn't. I had two wonderful daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And, you know, it's great when, and again, if you don't have that familial support or friend support, that's when, you know, people like myself and there's other amazing supports out there. That is definitely something that you can find some of that support with. Low self-esteem 
is another thing that may come up. You may have that lack of confidence or esteem that you had before the loss. You may have increased or decreased dreams or the presence of nightmares. Um, I know for myself that depending on the time of year, what's been going on in my life, the people that I've lost may show up in my dreams more or less. Um, And sometimes it's good. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes they wake up and you feel really lucky to have had them visit you in your dreams. And other mornings you wake up and it was really painful to have them show up and then wake up and know that they're not there anymore. So that can be another thing. And then a pretty extreme one, but it can happen is those self-destructive thoughts, especially if the loss has changed your roles and, or if there's any kind of grief, a guilt or regrets around the relationship that you had with the person that's lost. Some of those thought patterns can show up physical sleep changes. You may not be able to sleep or want to do nothing but sleep. Um, weight changes and appetite fluctuations, weak, fatigued, lack of energy, and headaches, stomach aches are some of the physical ones. Spiritually um, or faith-wise, you may lose confidence in your faith or question your spirituality, question your spiritual leaders, kind of push back on some of that. So those are kind of some of the signs and symptoms that are most common with grief. Well, that, that makes complete sense. and it. Uh... It lets me know, too, that there are so many things that really could signify that it's part of the grief process. It makes it very difficult to detect because I wouldn't think for a minute if I was irritable, I wouldn't stop to think necessarily, well, what day is this? And is that a reason? You just kind of go on. But it makes me kind of want to pause now and be more in tune to the fact, I guess, you know, when I'm not having a good day for me to stop and reflect a bit and right. see if there's a reason why I'm not having a good day. So that that was very, very helpful. And, you know, it's funny if, you know, all those things that you can also kind of like a common cold, get some of those immune symptoms, too, because if those things are happening, our appetite rate is off or our sleep is off. We're not taking as good of care of ourselves as we should. So our immune system gets compromised. So part of why I do self-care and the work that I do as well is to help people take good care of themselves, prioritize that self-care so that our immune systems can kind of stay strong through all these things that we're going through as we're grieving. So throughout our lives, we experience grief in many ways and from many events. Yet I think people suffer most when they lose someone from a death. Is that correct? And why? Like I said earlier, it is true. And why is because we are storytellers. Human beings thrive on story. The stories others tell us, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories of what we hope to see in our futures. And so when we lose someone, we have to rewrite those stories. So I'll give an example. I am a fatherless daughter. I lost my dad. Four days later, I was a bridesmaid in my best friend's wedding. During the father-daughter dance, I lost it. I absolutely fell apart. Thankfully, the other two bridesmaids were also good friends of mine and held me very beautifully and comfortably in that space. So it wasn't disruptive. It didn't take the spotlight off the beautiful bride and her dad. But in that moment, I realized, right, and he'd seen my bridesmaid's dress and he knew this friend of mine and he was so excited she had finally found a great guy. And it was this bright spot in the last few days of his life. And but in that moment, I realized. 
I would never have my dad to walk me down the aisle. I would never have that father-daughter dance. And so then you have to start to rewrite those stories. And that can be very, very painful, very, very difficult because we don't like the unknown. We don't like the uncertain. We much rather live our fairy tales, right? There's a reason that so many of us love those fairy tales is because we do thrive on happy endings and stories. Another reason that death of someone we love can be so painful and so complicated is we may have guilt around the loss. We may feel like we weren't there for them like we should have or could have been, or we didn't spend enough time with them, or the relationship wasn't what it could or should have been, or we have regrets. And the other reason is maybe our roles changed. And now we have to figure out who we are and what we're doing. Okay, Amanda. So grief is complicated and seems to have no normal, so to speak. Is it fair to say that grief is different for each person and for every situation? Yes. Everyone grieves differently. And that is okay. So grief after a death seems to last a long time, at least for some people. Is there a normal length of time for grieving? No. Absolutely not. And in fact, you know, the American Journal of Psychology, you're one of those lovely, you know, they say in normal grief that it's like a two, you know, six months to two years. And then they throw that right out because culturally it can be different, right? In the Jewish community, you sit Shiva for seven days. Like everybody's got different ways to approaching grief. And everybody, because there's so many types of loss and so many types of grief, and everybody has different lived experiences and different coping skills and mechanisms different support systems, every single person is going to have a different length of time necessary for their grieving. And it's going to ebb and flow. You know, for some of us, they say time makes it easier. To some extent, I agree. And yet, Father's Day does not get any easier for me. Christmas has changed completely for me because my dad loved Christmas. My grandma loved Christmas. And so, There's certain things that might get easier over time or might hurt a little less, but there is definitely no prescriptive length of time for grief to last. And that's where people often get into trouble is thinking that, you know, oh, you should be over it by now, or haven't you grieved that long enough? Or, oh, you lost them how many years ago? No, not okay. Because grief is different for everyone, which means the length of time that someone needs to grieve is very different. And we all have one of those friends, at least, don't we, Amanda? The one that wants to tell you how you should grieve or when you should stop grieving or you should continue. Um, and one of the one of my favorite things that has been repeated several times is the fact that everybody is unique. Everybody's grief is going to be different. And speaking from my own personal experience with three major losses in my life, each instance is also different. And a lot of that is because of the particular bond I may have had, or in the instance of a stillborn baby, a bond I was never able to form. Right. So there's a whole different set of triggers and emotions with something like that. Exactly. So, but is there kind of like a standard model? I know you mentioned Kubler-Ross, and I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Is that what therapists or clinicians kind of go by? Or do they really look at the person as an individual? I personally 
look at the person as an individual. And I think most, or at least I would hope most quality therapists and social workers and providers of services are going to look at each individual as a person and know that grief ebbs and flows. It can look different day to day. I can think I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden a certain song will come on or something, you know, and I'm in instant tears. Yeah. So even the Kubler-Ross method isn't linear. Grief is not linear. The models we have to help us understand grief are not linear. You are going to bounce around. You may be in denial one day and angry as all get out the next and laughing and jovial the next day, telling stories and reminiscing and being in a spot of joy. And that's where sometimes people have a hard time. Like, oh, wait a minute. You were just laughing and living it up a second ago. And now today you're telling me you're so sad about this loss. That doesn't make any sense. Grief doesn't always make sense. And it doesn't have a linear prescriptive way that it looks or that it appears or is dealt with for any of us. And I think the most important thing to know is that it does ebb and flow. It's okay if you're not okay one day and that the next that you are in a space of love and joy and happiness and that there shouldn't be any guilt over those moments of love, joy, and happiness, nor should there be any guilt or you know regret for those moments of morose and sadness and needing to sit in the grief and the loss. That all of that, it's a beautiful spectrum. And that's part of the work that I do is helping people understand and honor that spectrum of emotion that comes with grief and letting each part of it show up as it needs to. Because I think that's when we are able to grieve the healthiest is when we kind of allow it to show up as it needs and saying, all right, I hear you. I see you. Thank you. I I like that perspective a lot, Amanda. Let the different phases show up as they need to. That really, for me, it it really hits home. It lets me know that I can think I'm in control of certain things, but for something as significant, as impactful, and as profound as grief is, it needs to move its own way, I guess, through your body, through your brain, through your mind, through your emotions, and through your life. And gosh, that nestles very nicely with the name of our podcast, As I Live and Grieve, because I think I'll probably be grieving for the rest of my life, but I'm also going to live the rest of my life. I'm not going to get caught up in those major aspects of grief that make that more difficult. You've been so good. I love everything you have told us today. I have learned so much. No idea there were that many phases of grief. Uh, Never would have thought, in fact, of some of the the types you've mentioned. So this is your opportunity now, Amanda. I would like you to tell our listeners what you can offer them. If they were to visit your website or ask you for anything, What? how would you help them? Well, there currently isn't a website. It actually just expired yesterday or today. And I let it expire because I'm doing some rebranding because I'm expanding what I can actually offer people. I am now getting certified as an EFT practitioner. So that's emotional freedom techniques tapping. I also am trained in a variety of tools and techniques that I can use for folks. So I really meet people intuitively where they're at in their emotional wellness, in their grieving, in all of that. And 
work with them to figure out what is the best course of action. And I'm willing to change that, right? There's a lot of coaches and people out there that have these kind of prescribed packages, right? It's six weeks of this, and we're going to do this, this, and this. That's not how I operate because I know that grief is a chameleon. It changes. It doesn't always look the same. And so I might have you do some homework one week that brings some other stuff up. And so the next week we need to take a different approach. And so I really, truly try to meet people fully where they are at in the moment. And so actually for this podcast, for you guys today, I have created a special link for listeners to book a free call with me. So you guys will be sharing that link because I sent it to you and I don't have it on the top of my head, unfortunately, to share with you here. But it's a way for people to go in and directly book a uh, call with me and kind of answer a few questions as they book and just get some support. Figure out if maybe us working together is a good fit or even if they just kind of got something acute going on right now that they want either some support, some tips, some resources. I'm going to give that time to you for free because I know that there's so many of us right now that just need a little help. I also want to recognize how hard it can be to reach out and ask for support, especially from a complete stranger. I honor that. I value that. That's part of why I have value yourself in the name of my business is because I want people to know I truly value them and where they are at. So please know that I do approach working with people without judgment, without any of that kind of preconceived notion. And, you know, if it's a great fit, great, let's work together. If not, then please, I will work to, you know, find you the resources that you need. People can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. I do have a Facebook biz page, Value Yourself Coaching LLC. And I'm on Instagram as well as Value Yourself Coaching. So if you are social media inclined, you are able to like and follow. But otherwise, if people want to speak to me directly, they can use that link and book a free 30-minute call. That's great. We'll make sure to have those links on our website and also in the episode notes for this podcast so that people who listen to the podcast can just look in either of those places. We'll have those. And you mentioned, you know, people can call you and it may be difficult for people to reach out to a stranger. But I also know that for some people, they would rather reach to a stranger because they don't really want their friends or their family to know what they're experiencing. And I know from our very first phone call together, in fact, I think our email together, it was we were almost immediately good friends. So I encourage everyone um, that has any questions at all about things she has told us today or about their personal situation to please contact Amanda. You won't regret it. With that being said, I think we're out of time. Again, I will say thank you so much. This is going to be an incredible episode, and I can't wait for it to get through the editing process and get launched. So thank you, Amanda, so much. Thank you, Kathy and Stephanie, for having me here today. It means the world to me to be a guest, and I am so excited for this podcast. And the world needs it. So I am so excited about all the people that this will reach and help. So thank you so much for doing this and for having me here today. Thank you for taking the time, Amanda. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.